welcome to the DFIC Podcast. This is the DFIC Podcast. Take some time out of your day to join us as we connect with McMaster alumni and inspirational professionals to hear about valuable advice, different career paths, and discuss investing with our investment team. Please note that this podcast is for educational purposes only. Career or investment ideas provided in this series or during its making are not endorsed by DFIC, McMaster University, the DeGroote School of Business, or our partners. All career and investment risk is undertaken by the individual, and we, our partners and affiliates, are not responsible for any potential losses now and in the future. Hi, everyone. My name is Marco, and I'm your host for today's episode of the DeGroote Finance and Investment Council podcast. In today's episode, Enhance Your Career with Technology, we have founder and CEO of Thrive Career Wellness Platform and Career JSM, Jeffrey Doucette. Hey, Jeffrey. Thank you for taking some time to be on the podcast. No problem. Looking forward to it. Okay, so do you mind just giving everybody a little introduction to who you are and what your companies do? Sure. So my name's Jeffrey Doucette. Uh, I'm the CEO of a company called Thrive Career Wellness Platform. And uh, really, Thrive Career Wellness Platform is you know the second product or brand that we've launched um, for my software company, which was originally called uh, Career JSM. You know, it's a little bit of a, uh, a long story, I guess, but uh, I'll jump into it. Really, um, why don't I start by you know explaining what we do now, um, and then we can uh, dive into how we got here. So really, the, the Thrive Career Wellness Platform um, is a platform that helps people um, manage the search for their next job opportunity when they lose a job. And what how our product works is that corporations are able to deposit dollars onto the platform And then individuals are able to take those dollars and spend those dollars on a wide variety of services to help them find their next opportunity when they've lost their job. So our product is used as a career transition product when large companies have to let people go or there's layoffs or people are departing their organization as part of their severance, they'll deposit dollars um, into our platform. And uh, yeah, so we've been running Thrive for the last year. Uh, Since we launched Thrive, um, we've... uh, We've worked with major corporations like Walmart Canada, Scotiabank, uh, CI Financial, uh, to name a few. And we're having a really fun time, you know, helping people find their next opportunity. That's great. So then what led you to starting these companies? Yeah, so I actually graduated from McMaster University uh, in 2013. I studied political science at McMaster University. And then I spent a year as the vice president of finance uh, of the Students' Union, of the McMaster Students' Union. And so in that role, I spent a lot of time getting a better understanding of the university and uh, learning about a lot of the services that, you know, offered to students. And really what me and my business partner uh, found was that there wasn't really great software to help people look for a job when they're leaving university and colleges. Um, We didn't think that the software that, you know, McMaster University had in place was particularly good at the time. Um, And we didn't think that a lot of the software that, um, other universities had was very good or, or intuitive. So um, we built our first product, which was called Career JSM, and that stood for Career Job Search Management. And basically, what, what that was was a, a tool that helped an individual, a student, um, 
track all the jobs they're applying to, um, manage their job search, you know, follow up on opportunities and really be more productive uh, when they're looking for a job. And we so we started the business uh, over five years ago, um, selling uh, the first version of our product to university and colleges. Okay, that's great. And then your product, the first one, Career Job Search Management, um, I was watching a video and it seemed like you guys were comparing it to Indeed or Monster at the time. What did you really see that was like lacking from that website where you were able to fill that need with career JSM? Right. So, well, what we found was lacking wasn't so much that there was a specific problem with Indeed or Monster or ZipRecruiter or any of these other resources. You know, what we found is that the whole process of looking for a job was really overwhelming. So somebody, a university student, would be graduating and they'd be applying to jobs on Monster, LinkedIn, Indeed, ZipRecruiter, company websites, and you know, really hard to track everything you're doing, track all the jobs you're applying to, organize all your activity, uh, and be productive. Um, and we found that it was you know, really a stressful opportunity or a stressful time in people's lives and that all the hiring resources were only helpful for you when you were on that one hiring resource. And no individual should be using only one hiring resource. So what we did is we tried to build a product that helped people track all of their activity on any hiring resource and organize it and then make it easier to understand where you're looking for jobs and um, you know how, how that's and, and the work you're doing. And so we found that uh, you know, we succeeded in doing that and we made it a lot simpler and, and easier for, for job seekers to understand what they're doing. I'll give you a simple example of a problem that we solved is a lot of people would apply to a job on something like Monster or Indeed. And like a week later, two weeks later, they get an interview for a job and they forgot what they applied to or they forgot what was, you know, in that posting. And we would have all that information saved in our application. You'd be able to access it, track it, and track your progress. No, that's awesome. Would have been very useful for me in the summer. Uh, so I wish we had this uh, podcast a little bit earlier. That's great. <laughs> and then, so you're a founder of a company, right? What are some growing pains or struggles that you've gone through as a founder? Oh, man. Uh, I don't even know where to start. Um Honestly, and I think that, you know, it, it's, it's all challenging. Um, and I mean, we don't, you don't really know what you don't know until you really know that you don't know it. And um, that's, you know, something that I've learned in every aspect of business, you know, as we've progressed. I think that people that start companies are naturally, you know, fairly confident, um, probably overly confident about their ability to, to do things um, and you really struggle with a lot of the aspects to running a business. I think that the interesting thing is, is that for me personally, um, the parts that I've always found, you know, the hardest are often like the more boring, non-sexy parts to starting a business, right? So like recruiting people, hiring the right type of people, um, building a team, you know, you know, having good HR policies, making sure everyone's working on the same page, uh, raising capital, having to deal with, you know, accounting, legal, 
a lot of, of those aspects are probably ones that cause you more stress than at least for me personally, than, you know, the actual, like, do you have a good business idea? And is that, is that something that someone would pay money for? Um, where like, and that is still a very hard part to starting the business, but it's actually the everything else that, that becomes really challenging. So a day in the life for you seems like a, a pretty hectic day. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, um, so we now have like 11 people at our company and now we're at the stage where, you know, I've hired more people and there's more people that can take things off of my plate, but you're still very much at the size of the company that we're at today, uh, wearing a number of different hats in the organization. Like I'm the CEO, but then I also do a lot of the roles of like a CFO or a VP finance, um, make sure I'm involved in a lot of the HR issues. Um, I am the COO. So you're still doing a number of different things and it's, it's great. Like it allows you to learn about all these different aspects to running a business, but it does mean that you're switching gears constantly. Um, but you're learning a lot and you're having a good time. What would be the most enjoyable part of your role as like co-founder and CEO right now? Would it be like that pitching aspect that comes in really getting the word out and trying to partner with a lot of people or and less of like the actual day-to-day hiring accounting legal kind of role? You know, that's a good question. Um, I don't think that there, no, I don't think that there's one part that um, I like more than everything else. Um, like I think first and foremost, I love making customers happy and I love making our users happy. Uh, that is what drives me as a, as a founder. That's what drives me as a CEO. Um, and the reason we're doing this is to make our customers happy and make our users happy and basically, you know, improve their lives with software. So that's the best part of the job. When you get customer feedback, when you get user feedback, everything else is really something that has to happen for those things to happen. So, you know, pitching investors is something you need to do, which I enjoy doing, but it comes, that's something that enables me to provide a better product for my customers. Whereas as well, you know, hiring people and doing a lot of interview screening and HR work can be really tedious, but when you hire a great person and they make a great contribution to your team, that's worth it because you drive better outcomes for your customers. So yeah, I wouldn't say there's one part that really stands out for me, but um, they, it all kind of meshes and matches together and that results in a, in a good company. I think that um, if you're a CEO or a founder and you, even if you're a small company, but if you want to become a big company, you have to appreciate all aspects of the business or you're going to fail. And that's something I think that I've grown to really appreciate. That's awesome. And then have you realized that even at like an employee level with you wearing a lot of different hats and being at a smaller um, stage software company that people are able to develop a different range of skills and a wider range of skills than they would at a large corporation right off the bat and when they graduate? Yes. Um, I think that uh, the best move you can make in your career is working at the right early stage company. Um, and the reason for that is because I think that we all have like an idea of what we want to do when we're older, but we don't really understand that until we try doing it. 
And the reality is, is doing it outside in the real world is a lot different than doing it in the classroom. And doing it in the classroom doesn't really give you a good understanding of what it's going to be like on a day-to-day basis. And so often if you're hired to a company that's my size, let's say 10 to 20 employees, the reality is you'll probably be doing maybe one, maybe two, maybe four roles if you're in a larger company. Um, I'll just give an example, a generic example, say like you're hired to do HR at an early stage software company. You're probably going to be involved in recruiting. You're going to be involved in sourcing. You're going to be involved in interview prep. You're going to be involved in interviewing candidates, making decisions, as well as enacting good HR policies and managing the team. All of those would be singular roles in a large company that has 100 people. So coming into a small company allows you to often, you know, touch four to five different aspects of the business in a real hands-on way and then really decide, you know, what you're good at. The second thing is, is that really, to be honest, you're going to have a lot more individual ownership of things that are important. And what that means is that, you know, you will likely at an early stage in your career be involved in making tough decisions, um, in executing on tough decisions, and also being held accountable for tough decisions. And those, I think, are really important skill sets that frame how you problem solve and how you manage your career. You can work at a lot larger of a company, and that's going to have different benefits. But if you're an early stage, or if you're early in your career and you're working at a very large company, you're going to be working in a pretty tight box as to what your responsibilities are. Um, And that's just the way those companies are are run. And there's pros to that as well. Um, But a huge proponent of getting into an early stage company early in your career. And the second thing is, is that um, I think most people uh, are motivated financially as well, and they, they should be motivated financially. And you are likely to be positioning yourself working at an early stage company to, you know, increase your salary, um, increase your, your net worth, increase um, your exposure to a lot of important decision makers if you're in an early stage company. No, that's awesome. It definitely seems like there's a lot of really good skills that students can be able to learn. And I think having a pretty wide net in terms of like a lean structure organization where they're able to wear different hats and do a lot of different tasks is is pretty great. So let's move on to the next topic, which is going to be fundraising. So you guys have seed funding. Was venture capital something that was always on your mind before starting the company? No, it wasn't. It wasn't something that was just on my mind. Um, you know, we secured our first contracts as a, as an early stage company um, when it was just two of us, when it was, you know, Tristan and I. And, you know, really quickly, we realized that those contracts weren't going to be enough for us to build all the software required to um, to launch that product. So it was at that point that we started to seriously look at raising, you know, angel seed stage investment that we were successful in doing so. Um, and yeah, it was, you know, that was, that was something that was a very logical business uh, decision for us. Um, we didn't, you know, set out the company, like we didn't start the company with the sole goal of raising money, but it's a, it was a very uh, important a stepping stone to enable us to do what we're doing now. Okay, that's awesome. And then just before we keep on talking about that, um, just from a software perspective, were you like re- well-versed in terms of coding when you came up with this idea uh, for the company or was it like a combination between you and Tristan? 
yeah, I knew nothing about coding. Like, I don't even think now I could put a website live on the internet. Um, I uh, met Tristan whenever I was working for the McMaster Students Union. He worked in underground uh, as a, a print designer and developer, and we worked on a number of projects together. And, uh, you know, he had actually started a startup and we decided that we'd be a good team to work together and tackle this problem. And then back to venture capital funding, what was some of the attractive things from venture capital that really made you want to take that next step and not just have the contracts on your own? Uh, Was it like the business expertise that gets brought in from venture capitalists or like the network that they're able to bring in themselves from like a board of directors perspective? Uh, It's a little bit of both. Um, But first and foremost, it's cash. Like you're getting cash to create large, a larger value in your company, right? Um, You need that cash. We needed that cash. We wouldn't have been able to deliver on what we were looking to do um, without that cash. Um, So you should always be raising venture capital because that is going to increase your value um, as shareholders in the company down the road. But then, yeah, there are, you know, ancillary benefits to raising capital. So why don't I like tell you a little bit about my investors? So, for example, our largest private investor is a family office called uh, Wesley Culver. And that is um, the family office of Sir Terry Matthews, who uh, is a legendary Canadian entrepreneur and the founder of Mitel and Newbridge Networks. Um, and the investor in hundreds of other software companies. So his second in command, his president, Paul Shirelli, who sits on our board of directors. And so, you know, having people that have been really involved in early stage companies um, all the way to like successful IPOs of Canadian companies gives you a very diverse uh, group of uh, people that you can, you can learn from. And the reality is, is that when you're starting a company, I think a lot of the problems that you're facing you know, seem really unique or seem really uh, unique to your business, but they're often not. And so having people around the table that are able to help you and have been through that before, you know, is is invaluable, especially if you're a first-time entrepreneur. You're also backed by Hello Ventures and the Mars Investment Accelerator Fund, right? Correct. Did you guys have a strategy that like guided you in identifying which venture capitalists to approach? Uh, yes and no. Like when we started out, um, it was very much a spray and pray and hope that you can attract some attention and that you're able to meet some investors. And we got accepted into an accelerator in Ottawa, which was called LSpark, which was also backed by Wesley Clover. And so in participating in that um, accelerator, we were able to then uh, meet investors, obviously meet Wesley Clover, get introduced to Hello Ventures. Um, and that really, you know, created some momentum. Um, at the early stage, a lot of uh, venture capital funds or investors that invest, you know, at the stage we were at, like before you're even making your first $100,000 in revenue, um, they typically, you know, invest in a wide variety of s- software companies. But then now um, I'm at the stage where we're actually in the process of raising like some more serious venture capital. Um, and you start to get a lot more focused with like the type of company, like venture firms you're, you're focusing on because at the later stage, they start to be, they start to have specific industry requirements or stage requirements or type of company requirements that all, you know, fund their thesis of the types of companies that they want to be investing in. 
Okay, so the first round was just the seed round, right? Did most of that capital go to like research and development and marketing and trying to build this product up? Yeah, exactly. It's always typically, at least for us, been a split like 50-50 between R&D, which is like software development and sales and marketing, etc. Okay, so as you guys now, you're approaching what? It would be Series A funding? Yeah, we're in that ballpark. Like we're currently looking to raise around like... $4 $4 million. Okay, awesome. So then what are like some of the characteristics uh, of venture capitalists that really matter most to you? So I know like they have some requirements like that you were just mentioning before, but is there anything that you are really looking to other than cash to like get the benefits from them? Yeah. So now that we're much further along, we're much more focused in like what type of company we are and um, how we're going to be attacking this vertical. So now you'd put us in the category of like an enterprise software company that's focused on human resource management and human capital. And so for us, when we're talking and looking at investors, we're hoping to bring in investors and we're talking with investors that have experience investing in companies in our space. Um, And that's for like a number of different reasons. So first of all, they tend to be much more attracted to your space because an investor is like much likely to invest in companies that they know that industry much better just because that allows them to make better decisions. Um, but then as well, they're likely to have a much more wider network of say employees that might be interested in joining the company because they know a lot of people that have worked in that industry, or they might be, um, they might know a lot of strategic partners you might want to reach out to. They might have uh, relationships with companies that could potentially acquire you or invest in the next round. Uh, and so those are all things that we really consider um, or that you're looking for when you're looking to raise more venture capital. Awesome. And then right now, you guys have two people on the board of directors, right? Is it Peter and Paul? Yes. How have you found that working with a board of directors versus just the beginning days with you and Tristan trying to flesh everything out with the company and like the strategic direction? Oh, it's really good. I mean, um, Every board would be different, but I would say like our board has a very collaborative approach and uh, that means that, you know, we're not, I don't feel beholden to my board of directors or that like they, I work for them. Um, It's rather a very collaborative relationship where they're able to give us feedback and ultimately make us better entrepreneurs. That said, like, you know, it's interesting though, like, at the end of the day, I, I still always find like I get the best advice from my customers, right? Um, because they're the ones that are buying the product, that understand the product, and really have the most vested interest in making sure it works for them. No, it's awesome. It's good to hear that you guys are very customer-centric as well. And is there any mistakes that you've made along the way that you could you know, tell some McMaster students who are possibly looking to enter into um, a seed or series A round of funding um, that you wish you could have changed or that you would have approached differently? That's a good question. Um, I think that uh, the interesting thing with our business is probably, I think the hardest thing for an entrepreneur to figure out um, is pricing and is understanding the business model that works the best for their business and their customers. And I think some of the mistakes that I made 
previously as an entrepreneur is I was often trying to position my business model in line with what has succeeded for other companies that might not be working in the same industry as I am. So like what I mean by that is when we were starting our company, like the most popular SaaS company that was taking off, which is still really popular was Slack, right? And Slack had this really easy pricing model. They created virality in organizations. And I had a lot of people give me advice like, oh, like, why don't you price it like Slack? Why don't you do this like Slack? Or why don't you do this like Uber or like just any of these other companies that have built these really successful businesses? Um, And I don't think I listened to my customers enough about like how they wanted to pay for it and how the business model fit into their business. And so it really took us like four years to find a pricing model and a go-to-market strategy that um, resonated and allowed us to start growing really quickly. And, you know, like, for example, we've been doing this for like five years and our revenue growth in the last year has been like 300%. And, um, you know, we've done more revenue in the last 12 months than we probably did in the last like four years, the first four years of doing a business. Um, And so, you know, that, I think just, you know, any entrepreneur has to focus on two things. Like one is, you know, building a product that people really like. And then second to that, layering in a pricing model that works for the people who like your product. Um, And I think we can get caught up too much on focusing on one before the other. That's really good advice. Yeah, it's not, not, not everything in life is a one size fits all approach, right? So really tailor it. So let's move on to your expansion plans. So you guys have some really great partners. Um, is there any new ones that you're targeting that you could share? Or like, do you have a dream partner uh, that you hope thrive uh, work with in the future? So, I mean, we have a Canadian distribution partner called Awful Talent that's really helped us grow the product in Canada. Um, we've just launched in Australia with a distribution partner called uh, the Career Insight Group. And so we're live in Australia and we're currently, you know, negotiating and finalizing agreements with companies in the United States as well as in, in Europe. So, uh, no, I, don't, I, I have dream distribution partners, but uh, no, we're, we've been really successful in, in a taking a distribution model um, and it's working really well for us. That's great. And then in five to 10 years, like where do you see this company? Is this like software that every single employer is going to end up using hopefully in the future? Really? like what our long-term vision is, is like, we want to build a a talent mobility platform. So what that is, is that we think that the like career services have become an online career services have become very um, compartmentalized and very niche focused. And there's so many different services that anybody can be using to advance their career. And it's very challenging to allow anyone to like for anyone to know what they should be using. So yeah, our goal in the future is that every company is using a platform like Thrive Crew on this platform for any individual that they're looking to help them move on in their career or find a new opportunity. And based on that individual, what we know about them um, and the services we have in the platform, we're going to be able to make a concise recommendation on what they should do next. That's great. And at the beginning, we talked a little bit about interviewing and hiring, which is something that you've been involved in a lot with your company. Uh, Do you have any advice on like what you're looking for in a candidate while you're interviewing? Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're looking for a lot of things. Like, first of all, um, 
I think the number one mistake that people make is that they think like an interview is just about them and who they are. Um, but we also want the interview to be about us and our company and what we're doing and how you want to contribute to it. So for somebody that, you know, meets the education requirements or the background that we're looking for, you know, we're looking for them to also come in and share with us the ideas they have about our company, about how they can take our company to the next level, how in their individual role, they're going to contribute to the company. Um, you know, a, an okay interview will just like answer all the questions that you've asked them directly and tell them about yourself. But a great interview is going to answer questions and relate that back to the company, what we're working on and, and how they can take it a step further. So I, I'd say that's the number one or main thing I'm looking for, especially when people that people that are starting out their career. Okay. That's great. So you want them to be just as excited as you are about the company in general and not just the job itself, right? Correct. Awesome. And then other than going into an interview, you know, really understanding the role and being prepared and excited as well for the job. Is there anything that you see that undergraduate students aren't doing in terms of preparing themselves for the real world? Uh, yeah, there's a couple things there. I mean, the one thing I think that people can do a lot better job of is, you know, so networking is really important and building up your network and meeting and reaching out to people that uh, reaching out to people that you can benefit from, but also learn from. And I think that the biggest mistake that a lot of people early in their career do is that they treat like networking as just like a transactional relationship, right? So an example of that would be someone would email me or inbox me on LinkedIn and would say like, Hey, Jeffrey, I want to talk, grab coffee with you and learn about working at your company. And that, you know, you might be like, okay, cool, but I don't have a job posted right now. Like, I don't really want to take time to meet with this person because I'm really busy. Right. But then a second approach would be someone reaching out to me and saying, Hey, Jeffrey, like, you know, I'm really interested in working just in the broader software industry. Um, I'd like to learn from you as a, uh, as an entrepreneur on how I should be navigating this, blah, blah, blah. I really like what you're doing. Maybe tell me something about my company. So that per that's going to show me that, you know, that person, you know, isn't really looking for anything from me. They're actually just looking to learn and they're looking to, and they're reaching out with the hopes of learning and building their network. And I'm actually like much more likely to probably take that person out to coffee than I am just someone who's just like straight up asking me for a job. Um, and so I think that's something that, people should really focus on is, you know, building your network and your network can never be too large. Like you will never regret going to coffee with a smart person who's accomplished stuff in the industry that you're trying to work in. Like you just won't regret it. There's nothing bad that can come out of that. Um, and that's just something I would really advise for people to do. And the second thing I would advise them to do is start doing that process earlier, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, you shouldn't be like starting to look for a job in March if you want to start a job in May. Um, this needs to be an ongoing 24-7 thing that you're doing in your career to continue building your network. And if you do that, opportunities are just naturally going to come to you. Now, those are both really, really great pieces of advice. And I think, you know, just to touch on them, I think in first year, a lot of students are almost like afraid to start early. Yeah. Um, so that's good to hear that, you know, as long as students are just generally interested in what this person's doing, like you don't have to be looking for a job to reach out to somebody. 
it's always good to meet a smart person and start developing your network from like day one of university. Exactly. And then as well, like what's the worst that's going to happen if someone's going to say no, like you don't need to ask permission, like start building your network and you're only going to benefit from that. It's never, there's never going to be a downside. I think one thing that students kind of struggle with is the follow-up part of a network. So let's say, you know, I message you, we go for a coffee, we have a really great conversation. Um, What's your advice to keeping that relationship active um, and having touch points with the person? Is it just following up with a quick email, just saying, hey, this is what I'm doing, Um, hope everything is well, or do you have a general like guideline for that? So I think that a good way to do this is why don't I explain what I do to people that are in my network that I want to maintain and curate that network and then how that would relate to someone starting their career. So similar to a job seeker, I'm always trying to network with people that are further along in my career, in their career than I am. That might be people that I want to tap into in the future. Those could be investors. Those could be just executives at companies I want to partner with or just general smart people that I want to stay in touch with. So rather than, you know, I can't ask them for something every three months, right? That would be really awkward. So instead, what I typically do is I'll try to, you know, come up with a reason to contact these people every three months that is hopefully helpful to them. So what that might be is me finding an article I think they might be interested in. So I might read an article on in a newspaper, in a magazine that I think pertains to a specific person I built a relationship up with. I'll just shoot that over to them and say, hey, Hope you're well. I thought you think I think you might think this article is interesting, or I might see something happen in their professional career, and I just might reach out and congratulate them on that. Um, and those are that's a really simple thing to do. And so, you know, for example, if I was starting my career and I was like trying to break into the tech ecosystem, I would yeah try to get meetings with ten to twenty to thirty people that are working in this industry and build a relationship with them, and then I would reach out to them quarterly and find a reason to reach out to them that isn't asking them for something, you know, send them an article that relates to them, send them something that interests them, update them on a project you work on. You're never going to, you're never going to regret doing any of those things. That's great advice. Yeah. I think those are a lot of things that are just so easy to do, but people just kind of overthink it, you know, like at the end of the day, everybody's human, right? So Great. And then we're going to finish off with a few lightning round questions. This is something we're just introducing to the podcast. Um, so do you have a favorite podcast? Uh, I, right now, I would say probably my favorite podcast is uh, part of my take with uh, Big Cat and PFT commentator from Barstool Sports. That's my uh, take my mind off work and hang out podcast. And then what's a recent book you read? Um, a recent book I read, I'm currently reading uh, Good to Great, um, but then probably the best book I've read recently that uh, I gifted to a lot of people was um, What it, What You Do is Who You Are. I really recommend that for anybody that wants to be a leader. What to Do is Who You Are by Ben Horowitz. Awesome. Good to Great's an unreal book. And what's your go-to music while exercising? Uh that ranges like sometimes it'll be like you know like hardcore rock but then also i'll like be listening to trap music or like old school hip-hop really depends on what my what i'm in the mood for nice and to finish off do you have a go-to website or news source for everything software or technology um no it's my twitter feed so i love twitter and i follow a lot of you know venture capitalists and 
you know, tech entrepreneurs. And so typically I'll just be reading and consuming whatever they are sharing. Great. Jeffrey, thank you again for taking some time to speak today. We really appreciate all your insights. No problem. It was fun.